Hello there. How's it going? Nice to see you. I'm fine. Is that good, a good, Technics good. Uh, 1200 that I yes. see there? <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, good. You DJ. Yeah, yeah. My ears oh. are blown up. Hold on. <laughs> I actually gonna... had a record label. Oh, hold on. We're going to have to talk a lot more about, <laughs> about that yeah. as this gets started. That's really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, I, I didn't hear that come up in any of the podcasts that I was listening to that, that, you, were, that you were featured in. But what did you, uh, what did you start DJing? I think around 84, 85. Okay, so about 10 years before you got into PHP. <laughs> and, 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 cold yeah, fusion, yeah. and Cold Fusion, if I did my homework yeah, correctly, yeah, yeah. in ASP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> even, even before that, having uh, <laughs> the regular, you know, uh, drive-in show, uh, making music with uh, trackers on Amiga and uh, that kind of stuff, really old school. And, uh, yeah, but like you said, a very good way to blow your ears out. <laughs> yeah. And, and so mostly... Be careful, mostly, kids. Yeah, 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 exactly. You heard it straight from the source. Predominantly electronic music, or what were you doing? Yeah, okay. house music, yeah. Yeah, it was, a good, it was a good time to be doing that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. That's cool. Good. Well, anyway, we'll have to touch on that a little bit later. For everybody else that's joining the webinar, welcome to another edition of the Data on Kubernetes Community Meetup. Uh, my name is Bart Farrell, and as you can see, we've got some music here. We also have a little bit of hand percussion in case we don't want to be too electronic if we want the analog. Um, but today I have with me the CTO and co-founder of VAMP. His name is Olaf Molenveld. I hope I said that correctly. Um, yeah. Reasonably correctly. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Anyways, everybody always knows these meetups are friendly chats. We always invite all the folks out there to get in our Slack, to, to check us out on Twitter. Um, check out our web page, dok.community. We have t-shirts, we have stickers, we have really cool people, we do really cool stuff. And today we're gonna be getting into a very interesting topic that I think uh, is kind of fearful for a lot of developers out there, and particularly with the slogan of VAMP being, you can, you know, you can do a release on Friday and still be- Even on a Friday afternoon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, on a Friday, even on a Friday afternoon. And one of the things that we'd like to talk about a lot in our community as well are, are war stories. And I think with releases, it's a great way to get a lot of those. So anyway, we got a lot that we want to hear from Olaf. But Olaf, if you could just introduce yourself briefly, apart from being a DJ in the 80s, um, how, did you, how did you start VAMP? Um, how did you start interacting with Kubernetes microservices in general? Um, tell us about yourself. Yeah, uh, thanks for the opportunity, first of all, Bart. Uh, my name is Olaf. Uh, I'm CTO co-founder, as you already said, of FAMP. Um, got my gray hair with uh, all kinds of old school uh, programming stuff. Uh, and um, basically, uh, after I sold my former company that was building bespoke content management systems and uh, building e-commerce platforms, um, I went to the biggest uh, e-commerce and full service internet agency in the Netherlands, uh, which was called Mirabeau, and which is now part of uh, Cognizant Group. Um, and I wasn't really, um, um, I didn't really know what, what my role was because if you run like a boutique, smaller company, you do everything basically. You run operations, infrastructure, programming, uh, consultancy, all the stuff. Um, so they said, yeah, you're like a technical consultant. I said, that's fine. Um, so what I did there, it was basically uh, consulting other companies. Uh, we were running like a top tier Transavia, which is a subsidiary of KLM, which is the, the national airliner in the Netherlands, ING Bank, which is a big uh, financial bank, uh, G-Star, which is a fashion brand. And I was kind of helping them to transition their e-commerce uh, infrastructures into more modern cloud-based uh, infrastructure. And uh, around that time, I think Docker came along, the first zero dot something beta version. And um, also we were, like I said, uh, there was this transition from, uh, we cannot go to the cloud because of all these concerns. And it flipped around all of a sudden, like, okay, we need to go to the cloud unless uh, there's like a, a really, uh, thing that stops us here. So it, it flipped around and uh, yeah, all of a sudden you got these new challenges like, okay, we've got our old, old application. Maybe it's now time to modernize. And we have this Docker thing. And at that time, um, basically the main challenges that, that we encountered with, with these transitions are still the main challenges I think that, that you see. We, I always call them the three pillars of, of e-commerce kind of. 
which is like, how can I do zero downtime upgrading? How can I make sure my, my application scales when my traffic is like unpredictable or cyclic or, or not, it's not stable in that sense? And how can I start making sure that, that I can experiment with, with data-driven kind of uh, way of working? And uh, so basically, uh, FAMP started with the idea of building an e-commerce platform, um, which is where the name Magnetic, which is also all over our kind of collateral, uh, started with, because we wanted basically to build a modern day e-commerce platform based on containers and microservices. And I guess that's what the, the guys from Commerce Tools and Molten and, you know, all these headless e-commerce companies are doing these days. And we wanted to do it six, seven years ago which was a little bit too early because people were like, ah, yeah, we're still on Oracle and IBM and, uh, you know, demandware. And uh, FAMP was basically our internal engine to power that e-commerce platform, to do this zero downtime upgrading, to do the uh, seamless upgrading, uh, to do the experimentation. And it was built on top of Mesos and Marathon, which were the, the, the main schedulers around the time and cluster managers. And, um, yeah, there was much more interest in, in FAB than in the than in the headless e-commerce uh, idea. And so we pivoted, as that's uh, the, the nice Silicon Valley name, towards this FAMP um, engine, because that's basically what people were saying, like, uh, this is interesting. We, we actually had a little, or half, a little slider, which you could pull from version one to version two. And uh, this is like the bridge to DJing. It's the same thing. You have one record and the other record, and then you have a control transition and you can screw it up or you can make it really sound smooth and nice. And, uh, and it's something that most people don't appreciate about a lot of people don't know, realize how many DJs are good until they hear a bad one. Just for everybody who's <laughs> yeah. out there. It looks, yeah. it looks really easy, but the beat matching is not, it's not as simple as it looks. So anyway, it's good to keep that in mind, the balance that you have to have. Yeah, and, and I think uh, the, the main thing there was that uh, as consultants, as, as like solution architects, uh, we are used to talk to the business side of, of, of companies. Like, okay, what do you want to achieve? When is there value in it? And, and giving these people uh, control back, basically with, with giving them the slider. And, and they, all of a sudden for them, it was like, wow. So I can kind of grab a slider and see different versions appearing in the browser. And if it's not working, I can just, slide it back again. And, and I, I guess that's where it started. And these things are still uh, very uh, important for what we do in these days. Uh, making uh, complex technology easy to, to use, uh, focusing on business value, end user experience, and, um, and basically allowing you to, to, to be safe and controlled in your releasing of software. Now, interestingly enough, though, just to go back to the name really quickly, is because, you know, VAMP in the <laughs> software world and the marketing world, we're talking about web pages, revamp, this is a word, you know, VAMP something up. But in this particular case, what does VAMP refer to? It, it's an acronym. And uh, my co-founder at the time, Tim, who is now uh, uh, the founder of Checkly, uh, which is also a very cool thing. Uh, you need to check it out. It's okay. API monitoring. Uh, as a SaaS, uh, but um, he kind of came up with the thing was because we were making music together. We actually had the record label together, so yeah. that's the link again. and uh, we were always brainstorming. And then uh, it's like very awesome microservices platform, fam. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, but it's it's also confusing to be honest because uh, at that time we were still yeah, setting up that that kind of uh, e-commerce platform. So we didn't really know clearly what the f really the focus area should be of what this FAMP engine. It was our own internal thing. You know, it was a little joke. Uh, but, but, it's, it but it's interesting how some of those things happen. You know, the in what starts as an internal joke or an internal tool that eventually is like, no, there's actually real value in this. We can start sharing this with customers. Yeah, it's Slack. <laughs> of course, clear example, yeah. very, very clear example. Yeah, but I think it, it, it is, uh, it's totally true. I mean, uh, a lot of people talk about it. Let's say, okay, you have an idea, you start building it to achieve that idea. You need to solve things that are not solved yet. And basically often the idea is, is, a, is, is more like something that you really love. Uh, it might not be a, a solution to a real problem, 
it's more something that you envision and you want to kind of uh, realize. But the things that you need to solve to achieve that idea are real problems because you encounter them. Chances are that much more people encounter these problems. And uh, yeah, I think uh, this is kind of like a little bit of like philosophical, but it's, it's about the journey. You, you, you start a journey to go somewhere to achieve something. And during the journey, you need to solve certain problems. It's like Dora the Explorer kind of, and, and, and these solutions, these are probably more valuable or, or just as valuable uh, in the market, as long as you can talk about it and, and, and people are exposed to it. And I think that's a really important thing is that as long as you can talk about it, and this is something because of spying on you and listening to some of your other podcasts, is that I think for me, it's really nice to be able to talk to somebody who really has that understanding of both the business and the tech side and that both people have to be involved. Sometimes the tech can get overwhelming for the business, but at the same time, they do need to be informed how you do that. I like to know, sorry, how do you, you bridge that gap? And as you said, like, oh, it's a slider. Like, we're gonna translate this and make this really simple. One of the things that happens frequently when I'm explaining that I'm working the data on Kubernetes community is people say, wait a minute, what is Kubernetes? And so having to explain that, how do you explain Kubernetes to a business person? <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, so I, I think uh, this, these are two questions. So one specific, mm -hmm. how, how is Kubernetes? How do you explain the value of Kubernetes? Um, and again, for me, it's all, all about value creation. And that can be technical value for technical people, like making your daily job easier. Uh, but in the end, everybody, I think, in, a, in an organization wants to service their clients, their users. And uh, so for me, Kubernetes is basically a mechanism or an abstraction layer that makes it more robust and scalable to run workloads. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like the next level of putting uh, X versions of something behind a load balancer uh, which is one thing, it's the auto-scaling, you know, either horizontal or vertical, but also moving things around when stuff breaks or fails, uh, it becomes more robust, you know, and I think it's, in that sense, it, it incorporates a lot of these learnings, uh, obviously, they had a Borg kind of story, uh, Google internally, but it, it incorporates a lot of these learnings, how to make a more robust distributed application, with, with, with standardized APIs on top of it um, without having to build that stuff from scratch, which we needed to do in the past. And that's where we can say some of the business value comes in because of the time and resources that were necessary to dedicate to building those things from scratch. Since I'm saying, yeah. you're like, okay, the explanation, I'm a business, I, let's imagine I'm a business person. All right, I, I get it. Where's the money in this? How is this gonna improve our business? And as yeah. a person as well too, that you've been in this entire evolution. And also my first contact with Kubernetes is because I was working in an, in an e-commerce um, software development company. And that's where, like you said, it, is that it kind of grew out of needs. The company made a very rushed jump to the cloud in three months, moving everything to, to Azure. And then yeah. from there, once I started working with Azure, Docker, Mesos, and then eventually Kubernetes. But that's why it seemed that there was a clear business case as the business was scaling. In your experience, how do those conversations happen where it's like, no, we're gonna do this, not just because it's a sexy technology, but because it's actually gonna provide real business value? Yeah, that's a good one, uh, because it needs to solve a problem. So uh, the conversation that you typically have with, 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 with your business counterpart or with, with uh, an organization that you that you try to help is is asking the, the questions behind the questions. like. Okay, if somebody asks like, can you implement Kubernetes for me? Or we need to go to microservices. Basically, you need to do the, the, the five times why kind of uh, sequence. Like, why do you need microservices? Yeah, because uh, I've heard that they're more scalable. I don't know, is an answer. Okay, uh, why do you need more scalability then? Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, our application doesn't really uh, scale. Oh, what does that mean, doesn't scale? You know, and then you, at some point, you you, you get to the point where uh, hopefully you, you get some more understanding about the real problem. And then just as well as Kubernetes might be an answer to the problem, it could also be the case that uh, Kubernetes is not the answer at that point in time, um, because it's not a silver bullet, obviously. It, you need to have the problem that Kubernetes solves, I think, which is making uh, distributed applications more uh, robust and scalable. Uh, actually, I, I, we have encountered situations where in the end it turned out that the networking was kind of crap 
and uh, by upgrading the switches in 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 the racks, basically the entire scalability problem went away. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's the thing. If you if you kind of um, if, it, that's a, a risk eh? if you start to use technology as a silver bullet, because yeah, it's like if you have a bug, if you cannot reproduce the bug, you cannot solve the issue. So uh, yeah, with with Kubernetes, I think. There's a, a, a totally a, a segment of problems that Kubernetes nicely uh, solves. Yeah. But also its counterparts. I mean, there's Nomad uh, from HashiCorp with uh, console added yep. to it. Uh, there's still Docker somewhere around. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, other things. But uh, yeah, it's about making things more robust. Mm. Um, the trade-off, of course, is uh, added complexity, yep. <laughs> which is often the elephant in the room. That there is that learning curve, and you know, to to really have full adoption. And once again, like I said, is that if it's not put in the right language, and there needs to be a business case, it's going to be like, how is this possibly better or less complicated than what we currently have? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think those conversations become difficult. Now, let's take this into the case though more directly with um, with Vamp. Um, mm -hmm. So when you have to describe Vamp to someone who doesn't understand this kind of stuff. You know, what's the 140 character tweet version <laughs> of what VAMP does? Oh man, this has changed so much because this is a thing that, that basically changed every week in my mind. <laughs> uh, I like, lately we came up to some kind of thing where we say, okay, if you drive a car, you hopefully put on safety belts. If you buy a house, you hopefully put on, buy some insurance to make sure that, that if fire breaks out, whatever. If you release software, do are you insured? Do you basically have a safety net in place? Typically not. So that's what FAMP uh, gives gives you. Basically, the, the 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 last mile, the releasing of software into your audience, to your end users, uh, it, it's typically a very risky, feels risky, uh, feels stressful. Uh, it's like driving with your eyes closed and with 200 miles an hour, and no safety belts on. So um, that there, then there's kind of two two ways. You accept the situation and you kind of like, this is how, how my life is and hopefully I don't crash. Or you kind of start figuring out a way to improve that situation. And, and FAMP is basically a way uh, to, to make that smarter and, um, and, and faster and less risky. Because as, as as many people can 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 see, and I imagine I'd like to know a little bit more about your firsthand knowledge, having worked in so many e-commerce companies. Because, like I said, in my case as well too, there's always the nervous person sometimes on a Friday afternoon who's gonna mm -hmm. <laughs> click and and yeah. that part's exciting. Like, yeah, we've launched, we've released, and then all the operations team they have their second phone waiting for to ring with alerts from yeah. Azabix or Ops Genie or things like that at three o'clock in the morning and having to spend a, a lot of time and pain and suffering dealing with that stuff. So can, do you have any war stories of releases that you <laughs> happen to be involved in that were particularly complex? Yeah. Uh, we were <laughs> any that you like to share? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not name uh, names, but- No, of course uh, not, of course protect not. Protect no, no, the no. innocent. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think it's important to stress that uh, nobody comes into their work in the morning to basically on purpose screw over clients or their Ruin colleagues. Ruin your day, yeah. No, it's not not something, it's not that somebody doesn't want to improve this, but the, the realities are that often it's super complex and there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of different silos involved. Oh yeah, we, we've been working with a, with a, like a retail uh, e-commerce client that had these like uh, every year, like two, twice a year they had this kind of like uh what, what's the name in, in in american you have the the black monday or the fridays or you know oh yeah black special Friday, Cyber Monday, singles days yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. and you also have these like on a regional scale so in the netherlands mm -hmm. you have these kind of actions that are really uh become famous so people are basically waiting until it happens and then they start buying a lot of stuff there and uh Every year, again, we would like stress test and load test and, and scale up infrastructure. And then we would like weeks or even months in advance because that's the, the moment it, it would happen. It should happen. And then, um, and still it, it would crash. It would burn. It would go down and, and you would see like grown people almost cry and, and shout and, and become really upset because uh, I mean, their, their heads were on the, on the, on the line and um, yeah, 
I think everybody encountered these things and where everybody needed to be on call and it was super stressful. And I think one of the main things there is that there are also conflicting uh, KPIs or conflicting uh, requirements. If you're a developer, you need to be pushing out those features because they are important to kind of the, the moment or the event. Uh, but if you're infrastructure operations, you basically are charged with, with having this stuff up and running and you push back. Basically every change is a risk. So you, you kind of push back. And then there's the business that says like, yeah, I mean, I need to hit my targets and we need to get the stuff out and marketing is basically already bought all the commercials on the television so it will go out anyway uh but i want to make sure that it's tested and you might you need to guarantee me it's not failing and you know and everybody's kind of yeah. hitting each other on the head and, and crashing against each other uh, so uh, people are, are basically then not collaborating uh, mm. because their their kind of objectives are competing and, and so you think, think that as an organization then that VAMP provides that sort of outsider perspective of like, no, don't worry. We know that these things can be complicated. We've experienced this ourselves. So we have a very clear way of structuring that. Is that sort of a, an advantage you could say that you offer as being external? Yeah, I mean, there's two dimensions, I think, to it. One is that, that you, uh, or maybe three, we, we provide like a quick feedback loop. Hmm. So everybody kind of, knows from a unified standpoint okay what's going on what kind of version of what is running because it sounds obvious but typically there's a ton of information in, in most organizations but it's all often siloed or you know it's not readily available so you know people need to ask like okay what versions of what are actually running in this environment for this client because he or she is like bugging me why is that because the other clients are not harassing me so obviously something is different there what 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 versions are running so this information this this single pane of glass that is shared over all the the, the stakeholders is i think super crucial uh having the the safety nets in place basically having the tools to uh segment your your rollouts in in, in different sections you know and having that safety net in place so you have much more control the slider basically uh, but then in an automated fashion. That's already super valuable also because people often don't know that's, that it exists. They're like, yeah, we have flags, but developers use the feature flag, uh, you know, and uh, operations can like maybe go into CDN or, or, or DNS and set up some static kind of split, but not me as a less technical person, basically clicking like steps of my release flow with segments, you know, that's a different kind of control. And then the third thing is basically sharing uh, metrics that are important to the uh, uh, quality of experience. Your end user doesn't really care about CPU load, memory usage, it's all these Kubernetes metrics, they don't care. It needs to be snappy, it needs to be up. Uh, you know, uh, my colleague Jason is always talking about, it's like if the electricity is running, that doesn't really mean that the shop is also open you know uh, these are two different things um so the last thing is yeah, we try to kind of incorporate all kinds of different metrics from analytics tools from apm from technical from the network into what we call like famp health which is like aggregated top line budgets so everybody's kind of looking at the same kpis and and and, and famp kind of forces you or helps you to, to, to sit together business development and operations and, and talk about, okay, what kind of metrics do we need to observe? And when do we know this is good? When do we know it's kind of degrading? When do we know it's, it's wrong or bad? And what are our mitigation uh, steps that we want to take? Uh, and it's, a, it's an interesting discussion because you also, it's, it's almost like lean or Six Sigma because things can also be too fast, for example, if people say, why why is it that why is it like two milliseconds why because other things are like responding in two seconds why you know so you start to talk about balancing end-to-end -end, uh, pipelines so these three things i guess um, having unified few um having these metrics shared metrics 
and having safety nets and controls in place that, that allow you to 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 reduce blast radius uh, yeah. i think help that no i think and once again is that making it simple you know is providing a methodology yeah. for the companies that like don't worry we're the experts here i want to ask a little bit about though like in this marketplace we can say related to um you know deploy pipelines and release orchestrations Obviously, there are other players and some pretty big ones. You know, if we, yep. we can talk about GitHub, GitLabs, Azure, et cetera, and we could probably name a lot more. What is yep. it that VAMP provides that we can say is a unique selling point to differentiate yourselves from those other players in the market? Yeah. Uh, so we basically zoom and focus really on the releasing part. So we make this, this big distinction between technical deployments, mm -hmm. which are, uh, you know, the CI part of things where you build artifacts and you, you kind of bake them into uh, maybe a container or, or a jar or whatever you, runtime you have. And then you, you push it into an infrastructure and you make it run, which is kind of like the, the, the technical side of things, which is what we don't do. Uh, but we take, we take it over from that point on, which is what we call the last mile or the, the releasing part, which is more a process thing. We say, okay, now this thing is running, uh, but it's running next to the old thing. There are kind of two versions of, of something. So what is now the process of uh, going from one to the other? So that's the important thing yeah, to automate this entire uh, release process. Uh, and some people kind of argue, I mean, we, we are close with the STO team and uh, you know, we, it's, a, it's a small world. So, you know, Linkerd, Envoy, everybody knows each other. And you could argue like, okay, uh, service meshes uh, and ingress APIs give you already an abstraction layer to do kind of splits or you know percentage-based routing. Uh, but but driving this in automated, uh, scalable way, I think is adds a lot of value. And then the other thing is, um, how do you know when you need to go from step one to two, or can go from step one to two? And how do you know you need to stop or roll back? So that observability part is crucial to the thing because uh, these are again, those, those customer focused metrics. How do you know you can safely go to the next stage? Uh, so pulling all that met these metrics together, applying like smartness to it, uh, anomaly detection, uh, SRE style budgeting uh, with, with SLIs and, and SLOs. Um, that's typically uh, hard. I mean, one, important thing for FAMP is, like I said, we want to democratize these, these complex technologies. Not everybody has SRE engineers in-house. Not everybody has like 10 DevOps engineers. Uh, but, but a lot of people are containerizing and servicing their application and moving to manage Kubernetes uh, stacks on, on cloud vendors. And, and then they kind of walk, uh, walk into that wall, like, okay, what, how to do these things? Because it's, it's hard. I mean, yeah doing hello world with ingress or a mesh that's that's okay but then the, the next step uh so I, I believe there's a lot of uh, basically i want to kind of to be kind of the wordpress of, of release orchestration i mean wordpress you can have all kinds of opinions about it but i mean you can add a plugin and update it and you, you and can modify it and customize it as much as you want or you can just stick with the most basic format possible it's yeah true. it works yeah. it just works and uh i mean what what's happening under the hood you don't really care about hmm. and, uh, yeah now with all this all right so we once again in my in my previous uh company working with lots of e-commerce e customers from all over the world. With some of those days you were talking about, like Black Friday was huge. There were weeks of preparation, war rooms and all that stuff. And then also Singles Day in China, Cyber Monday, all these all these other big days. A lot of what was talked about is, you know, how it, one thing are the sales, but the other thing is the data. You know, the data that we're getting yeah. and, you know, these stickers of data is new bacon. And, and, you know, this was some years ago. But then also on top of it, and you were also already mentioning, you know, dashboards with metrics, is that it's not just the data. It's really about the insights. But I'm just saying in VAMP, how do you, what's your approach to data? And then from there, we can look a little bit more about your approach regarding data and Kubernetes. Yeah. So, um, like I said, um, there's more than technical data. There's APM data. There's... Uh, um, analytics data, uh, there's, uh, I don't know, security data, things like Sentry, IO, 
that kind of detect all kinds of issues in, in web apps or, or mobile apps. Um, and it, it's, it, the value lies in, in collecting all that stuff together and um, making some kind of informed decision based on it. The more data you push into a system, because there's all, already a lot of data out there. I mean, typical organizations collect tons of data, but making use of it, making it actionable, as we call it, that's a different ball game. So, um, so how to kind of start comparing things and making, taking care of cycles. You know, you have like weekdays and weekends and day and night. And if you're a global operation, you follow the sun kind of. So these things are important. Um, also working with budgets. I mean, uh, a lot of what you see is that if, if we have like metrics or, or monitors in place with a lot of things that you observe, at some point you get a lot of noise and, and like false positives and alerts. And then at some point you get this cry wolf kind of moment where people are kind of like, oh, this is dead alert, I click it away. It happens all the time. So having something that, that kind of keeps noise below the noise floor and, uh, and, and only alerting you if something really needs to be uh, looked at, I think that's important. Um, and then also talking about what does it mean um, let's say you have a, a, a people focus a lot on, on, on how many releases you can do. Eh? That's kind of a DevOps thing. Let's say I've got a team that pushes out like 20 releases each day, but, but all of them fail <laughs> and need to be rolled back and fixed forward. You know, you got a lot of releases, but the quality is, is probably support. And maybe you have another team that pushes out a, a release every two days, but it, it, it's always spot on. It, it, it just rolls like butter through the entire release process. So having that information also, it, I think is crucial uh, because you can kind of go like a leaderboard and say, okay, how can we improve? Because it's not a blame kind of thing. It's more like what's happening guys, because maybe you try to move too fast, you know, or maybe you need to add more tests to, to what you're doing. Um, maybe your, your your test environment or your development is different than in your production environment, so you cannot kind of test correctly. You know, you, it gives you information to zoom in on and uh, see where, where you can improve. So that's uh, kind of how we approach these things. Uh, make it make it actionable. Uh, give it more. Uh, get some insights out of it, both from a technical and from a, a business perspective. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, I mean, regarding if we have to imagine the, the perfect way for data to be managed in a pipeline, how do you envision that? What are best practices that people should keep in mind? Yeah, that's, that's tricky yeah? because I mean, every case is, is a little bit different, but I think the, the thinking that SRE does yeah, with, with, with SLOs and, and SLIs makes sense because an SLA is typically hard to, to kind of, uh, um, enforce in an automated uh, way. Um, so, so trying to zoom in on on what is actionable actionable metrics that we can um, that we can work with. Uh, also, I think kind of um, let go of this. It needs to be as fast as possible. Because um, I just had a chat today. I was somebody was talking about how many milliseconds or you know needs a system to I was like, but if, if your current situation is manual, reactive, that means you roll out something and then it's kind of, you click around for maybe 20 minutes, all looks good. And then you go home or you know, you're, and then at some point a customer comes in and does something you didn't expect or test for staff stuff breaks. They file a ticket or, or maybe your alerting system goes off. And then somebody needs to go in and analyze, you know, how much these are hours, maybe even days. So if the system responds in 15 minutes or 30 minutes by observing like, then that's, you, you earn already like a ton of time. Um, and yeah, uh, I think uh, what we also do is, is we correlate and we, we, we aggregate a lot. So one of the things with FAMP Health, for example, is that you can have maybe 10 underlying metrics. These can all be still in the green or orange zone, like they're still good enough. But 
the combination of those, like the meta aggregation uh, of health can cross a threshold. And that means that we can say, okay, all the underlying things look good, but the overall thing shows us that we are not comfortable with this. It, it looks flaky. <laughs> it just looks brittle. And, and uh, even though uh, customers don't experience any issues um, and things are still up and running, we will now stop the release at this step. So um, I think that's, that's super fun. It's like an early warning system that tells you, because I think most of us experience this. If you analyze it later on, either something fails immediately or something starts degrading really slowly. And later on, you can see it like, oh, I see a few restarts here and there or some tiny things and they're all under the noise floor. But but still, you see, see these things happening and increasing. Uh, so having that early warning system in there uh, and by, by rolling up different kinds of metrics and, and pushing them into a higher level KPI could really help you to kind of get an indication on things are, uh, it's not binary. That's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. These things are typically uh, set up as, as binary events. Either something is up or it's down. But, but, but there's the reality something in between. Is, yeah, 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 it's typically not binary. Uh, yeah, when you hit, hit that point where everything crashes down, you're basically too late. Yeah, but I think, but I think that's a good point. And I think also something from listening to your um, other interviews is that a really practical way, and I don't know if it maybe it's because you're Dutch or it's something magic, uh, <laughs> but, um, but just very practically looking at we talk about KPIs, uh, you know, outcome-based or performance-based. And so, you know, what is it, what is the outcome that's going to be desirable? You know, how many incidences is enough and how many are too many? Um, how are we going to be looking at this? And in order to avoid, um, you know, certain outcomes rather than others, what kind of testing practices do we need to have in place to make sure that, like you said, going in and clicking 20 times when you're already tired, is it really enough? Um, and, and then with that in mind, you know, what kind of planning needs to happen for those things to work? Now, with this in mind, you know, we talked earlier about the growth of, I think, I think a lot of, particularly seen in your case is that, you know, we have seen, and also from your other interviews, you know, other business cases that are good for Kubernetes um, and data on Kubernetes on top of that. And we have seen this with other folks in our community, our um, telecommunications companies, but then also a lot of strong presence from e-commerce. We had um, Alexander Kukushkin for, who works for Zalando. He was with us in, in October. And because a lot of these times, you know, with and with telecommunications as well, just the the numbers that you reach of site visits and purchases and deliveries, and with the case of e-commerce, um, and then with telecommunications, obviously the massive amount of you know phone calls, um, voice data, and messages that are being sent. Are there other industries where you think that there will be a stronger need for for Kubernetes and data on Kubernetes in in the near future? Um. To be honest, I think uh, technology like Kubernetes will be abstracted away. Um, uh, so it will be kind of like uh, infrastructure, <laughs> like electricity or water. Um, like I said, it makes total sense if you run, if you want something to be robust and scalable. And uh, I think things like Fargate and Knative uh, already pointed that there's the direction. Uh, to be honest, I mean, uh, we're all like, fascinated by technology we want to understand how things are working we want to read the Borg paper you know and, and, and figure out how this stuff works and, and that's totally under understandable but at some point it becomes common sense and then something else becomes more sexy and, and, and interesting and then uh, yeah, I don't care how my electricity is basically provided or, or, or my water so I think at some point we will reach it where people say, okay, I've got this container. I just want to run it and, and, and give me an endpoint and, a, and a, like, a, like an IP address or, you know, and, and that's it. So um, I think organizations that are currently still set up as like monolithical applications w without any load balancing or, um, you know, they will, you see that developers start adopting containers and uh, and Kubernetes maybe internally for their development and testing practices. At some point, they, they want to hit production. And then it makes a ton of sense to say, OK, we're going to do the same thing in production, because that means that if one thing fails, the other thing will still 
be running. And it's not so different from putting a load balancer in front of like and a failover. And, and, but the reality is that a lot of organizations don't even have that for some of their components or maybe all of their components. So um, I think both every organization that runs an online platform that, that needs to be updated and, and is, is, is iterated on uh, will move to things like Kubernetes uh, because it makes sense to have something scaled to zero when, when there's no traffic landing on it and you can do these things like AB and canarying. Uh, but it won't be specifically, uh, I think, Kubernetes. It, it will be like, I need a mechanism that that does these things for me and uh, yeah yeah i see what you mean in 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 multiple senses that isn't that it happens to be this particular name under these particular circumstances that's, that's one thing but the reality is like once again solving problems solving problems like that's and i always always like the technology can be wonderful it can be majestic but if it's not solving real world problems then it's not going to get there in that sense one of the big debates obviously for our community is you know pushing for the idea that you can run stateful workloads on Kubernetes. It can be done. That it doesn't have to be all stateless. In your mind, how could you know what problem does that solve, and what business value does that add? If we're talking about yes, do everything statefully with an operator. This can be done this way, and it makes sense. As a person who has to work a lot with the business side, how would you argument that? Yeah, that's. <laughs> Uh, there's this uh, funny saying that the devil is in the data uh, it, and it's true I mean um, it, it, and it, it, when we started six years ago the, 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 the topic came up every time and it still comes up how to handle my data like we're talking about microservices and they need to be stateless and they need to move around And but what about my data and my schema and you know and dependencies between those things and to be honest, I don't have I don't ha have efficient uh, a, a nice clean solution to it yet. Uh, if I would, then <laughs> I would probably uh, be in another business here. But um, I think having mechanisms in place that, that that allow you to do handle state and and persistence in an easy way make total sense. Because, like I said, all, also these more legacy applications. Uh, need to be moved at some point they need to be moved away and um, so I don't believe that uh, telling people to rewrite their architecture and, and redo everything and, and I don't think that's a good story to tell basically uh, I mean some people say it like yeah yeah you, you're doing it wrong uh, you need to change it all but that's not I think not the reality of uh, that's not realistic um, so um, yeah, it, it needs to be in there. Uh, and, and luckily, we see more and more features being added uh, to support those kind of stateful workloads and, uh, and persistence. And, uh, and I guess it, 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 it can evolve, it can, can improve, but I'm not totally sure how or how that would work. Yeah, I think that's sort of the question for a lot of folks in our community is to find enough use cases to see this is how I did it. So depending if your use case is similar, then this might work for you. But it's always, it is a question of, once again, what's the problem that we're encountering? And is this truly the best solution that can be diagnosed in order to, in order to handle it? It's funny with yeah. all this as well is that I don't think there's any other element of the world where the word ephemeral is used so frequently because <laughs> yeah. normally yeah. it has, has like a mystical, spiritual sort of connotation. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's it's an interesting thing because yeah, it all ends. Yeah, data is is powering these applications. I mean, without the data, there's nothing. And uh, but I I think um, it's we have a tendency to to think about solutions in a technical domain. I I also did that kind of like there may there might be like a nice clean solution for it. Yeah, but often it's also a process or it's 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 like architecture and for example with dependencies between data structures versioning of schemas uh, and, and microservices that you want to version and, and you want to update um, and the answer typically is yeah you need to solve that in in some way on an architecture level or, or, or on a versioning strategy um, and i always uh, try to explain it in the way that i say okay if you 
purchased like an API from a third party or, or SaaS service with an, an API or an SDK, how would you like it if it will change every week and it will like introduce breaking changes every week or month? You would be pissed off majorly. You would you would leave, but for for whatever reason, if you develop software that that requires a data backend, it you kind of accept it. You will kind of go in lockstep. You change your code. You change your your schema. Um, and I understand why it's happening because if you build a monolith and you're one team or you're like working together it makes sense because you're all like communicating say okay i need to add a column or i need to drop this thing or i need to change that because otherwise my feature will be hard to implement and basically you do it but the moment you start splitting out into different teams and this microservice kind of way of thinking where they need to operate independently you need to act internally as if you're like a public api and I think that it really touches also this, this like dependency management. Like internally, you also need to think like, if I change my API or my database schema, um, how will that affect my consumers, my clients, which are your colleagues, <laughs> but, yeah. but still, I mean, and you need to assume that they are pissed off at you when you introduce breaking changes or just do undocumented stuff or just assume that they will encounter the thing or they will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. No, I think what interestingly enough too, just today I was able to download the report from Vamp um, that I do recommend everyone will, maybe we'll post a link because um, I saw it posted by, by Joey. And one of the key things that came up, I don't know how many people exactly you interviewed, maybe we can talk a little bit about that in a second, but basically a report identifying um, you know, uh, different trends and things like that to be thinking about for 2021. But a lot of the things that came up with a lot of folks was mentioning dependency chain or dependency hell, um, or <laughs> ensuring that, um, that they can be indeed released independently when talking about software uh, release orchestration, orchestration release, sorry. Um, so, so yeah, anyway, there's a lot of really good stuff here. Is there anything that you'd like to touch on maybe that was mentioned in that report? Because like I said, I do see a lot of stuff here about dependency, but also stuff about microservices, Kubernetes in general. Um, what do you, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised. I think we, we, uh, we talked with about like 300, uh, or we got responses for, from about 300 uh, um, people or, yep. or, or, or companies on a global scale. Uh, obviously, we talk to a lot of, of, of companies uh, every week. So our like questioning is also guided kind of like what we get back from the market. Uh, so in that sense, uh, I think the, 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 what, we, what we asked about is, is kind of fed by much more um, discussions. But I was surprised by the, um, by the adoption in production, to be honest. Because I still remember there was this report on the option of containers at some point a few years ago, and it was like huge. And then uh, you, we st you started to zoom in, and I was like, "Oh, but the workloads are kind of like they have a, a lifespan of a few seconds." Like, okay, but that's not that. These are kind of batch processes or test runs, you know, and not real long-running production service. But now I think I was surprised by how many people are actually depending on, on things like Kubernetes uh, and containers for production. Uh, I, I would have expected that it would be less. Uh, I see that. And also because see, just looking at some of the other metrics, you know, the most used monitoring tools, we, we see stuff about, you know, whether about uh, Splunk, Prometheus, et cetera. But then looking at business, business monitoring tools, 23% don't use any. So we have this contrast yeah. of an increase in Kubernetes while still having a lot of folks out there who are still not even using any basic business monitoring. And sometimes you ask people like, have you have Google, do you have Google Analytics installed in your webpage so you can see where the traffic is coming from, the bounce rate, the session rate, you know, these kinds of basic things. Oh no, I have no idea. It's like, well, you might want to start out with that. Um, yeah, so you're, it, you're kind of yes. surprised to see more and more adoption than a Kubernetes. Yeah, that was uh, that was surprising to me. Uh, dependency hell, um, not so much. Uh, I, I was enforcing my my uh, thoughts on it because it, it it pops up all the time. Um, like, how can I 
make sure that things don't break when I update this thing and it requires the other thing. And uh, even though I trust my developers, even though we have all the testing in place, uh, uh, you mean, I mean, stuff still kind of breaks. There's leaky abstractions, there's data sets. Uh, we're a Dutch company, which is a European. Uh, there's all kinds of, of, of security and privacy. That's right, GDP, GDPR, <laughs> you know, Chief yeah. Data Protection Officer. And that's a really unique thing too to see that what's going on right now all over the world with different ways of looking at these things. But it brings in a whole other factor and cost um, for anybody who's going to be working with European customers. It's true. Yeah, yeah we have a nice uh, white paper on our website on, on shifting right because it, I think historically we try to get parity, feature parity on, on and configuration parity on our staging and acceptance environments, you know, with production. But with the security concerns, you cannot move your data sets from production into testing, for example, uh, or you need to sanitize them and, you know, scrub them, uh, which is super expensive. Um, but also it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of, of money uh, to have those kind of like parity uh, environments. And uh, in our mind, it makes, it makes a ton of sense to move faster to your production environment and, and make sure that you have these safety nets in place so you can safely kind of test. I, mean, I know it's, it's kind of testing production sounds super scary to any, uh, to any business don't, person. Don't do it, don't do it. Uh, in production <laughs> testing, no, that's not the, yeah. But, now, but, but then we kind of say, okay, well, it's, it's about validation or, you know, it's, uh, and, um, but that's, yeah, that, that's an interesting, everybody that, there's actually people that say, no, we don't test in production. And I'm like, who are you kidding? That means that you that you don't release your software in production. That's kind of the the consequence. And they're like, no, what do you mean? I said, the moment you put your software in production, you test, even though you don't even though you don't want to test or you don't actively. No, you are test, by default. Your users yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah. testing yeah, they're, it for they're you. They're testing it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so uh, yeah, there's it's a, it's a very interesting report, and Joey did a great job there. And mm -hmm. uh, I think, um, and also, I think because of the, like you say, there's the business side of things and then there's the DevOps world. And uh, when we talk to organizations, it's often not on purpose. Again, it's never on purpose, but if you talk to the engineers and the DevOps side of things, like, yeah, we are, we're doing a great job. We have everything under control. We have the latest versions of Kubernetes running. We have automated pipelines. We have all kinds of monitoring. We're doing a great job. And then you talk to the, the business side of things and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed because I never know what's kind of going on. And uh, if, if, if the client calls me, I need to file a ticket in Jira and then I need to wait, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've got like, not zero transparency, but I don't know what's going on uh, typically. And, and I, I still think that there's, uh, the window should be open between those kind of silos, because in the end, you, you're both trying to service your end users and, um, and also manual expertise. I mean, um, yeah, who knows the ingress uh, controller and, and can and debug the logs and, you know, uh, and there's still often a lot of not, not maybe not manual steps to take when, when you do something that's, that's common that you do every day or week. But if something starts to become flaky or, or dodgy, um, there's often this single person that knows everything about it and, and has set it up. And that dependency is, is really stressful for, for the business because they're like, yeah, what if this guy leaves or goes on holiday or, or, or gets ill? Or yeah, particularly right I'm now. I'm in a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, yeah, so aligning those those uh, and getting them aligned around the, the the client, I think, is still important. Yeah. That's that's a super good point, and that's the thing because it it seems that sometimes technology is at the center and not the client or not the customer, not the end user. They like, and that's where and I always mention this, but the epic battle that I saw in in a company in the in the DevOps um, area 
regarding Jenkins or Team City and people almost killing each other over this. And I was like, is this really, do the customers care that it's one thing or the other? Um, but yeah. the, the egos and the passion like really, really came out as well as having dev centers in different countries, which automatically caused friction too. Um, if anyone's uh, thinking about doing that, if anyone's thinking about doing that. But um, that's actually uh, really, yeah, I, I agree. Um, in the end, uh, it's about the end user. And like you say, internally, you can be passionate and you can argue about these things. But actually, one of the use cases that we that we encountered a few years ago was there was this religious discussion between Couch versus Mongo, you know, powering a microservice. Uh, and they were kind of moving away from, from a regular uh, SQL uh, backend. And I think we used FAMP to kind of send 5% of their real production traffic to Couch and 5% to Mongo and then 90% to the, the current uh, thing. And basically uh, shortcutting the entire discussion because everybody will come up with these blog posts, you know, and these reports and these stress tests and, you know, uh, and then it was like, this is our clients. This is the data that they, this is how they use our system and let's observe what was, but the end result was, all three of them were performing just as well. So I think they just stuck with what they had. At the end of the day, after all these arguments or whatever, it's like, oh, actually, no, we're just in. That's why I think people need to have, we can say a thick skin or a little bit of patience, but also just realize, you know, everyone's gone to different universities has worked in different companies. So it's normal people are gonna be more comfortable with one than the other, but getting no. so furious about this. Uh, anyway, I just, I think that there are, there are more important things in life to worry about. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but the thing is, if you have the tools in place to actually allow you to do these things, yeah, you, you, you kind of put the safety nets around it and you can experiment in production, mm. then you kind of can collect data and can make informed decisions. Yep. Which, which is, which is, I think, super valuable. That is, and then you can say, look, uh, you did really have a point there because you know this is what yeah. we're with the insights that we're getting out of this. Um, so anyway, no, I think uh, I think all that stuff's good. And also, you know, you've seen plenty of different technologies come, plenty of different technologies go, getting really, really attached um, to one or the other. I think can, can sometimes be a little bit risky, but but it does yeah. happen. Um, and there are other other reasons behind that. We're almost out of time, but in yeah. every in every in every I can I can stay for much. And we didn't even get to talk that much about DJing, so we have to have you come back <laughs> so we can spend. The thing is, uh, one of my dreams is to find a way to connect uh, either an MPC or a turntable to something where we can start putting the day, running stateful workloads on Kubernetes. So anyway, we'll have to. That's a that's a pending project that we have for 2021. Um, I actually saw a guy uh, connect a Novation launchpad to containers running somewhere. That's what I'm, yeah, that's, that's yeah. exactly what I want to do. Triggering, uh, scaling. I think it would show the scaling up and scaling down on the LEDs, on the buttons yeah. of the device. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that's right. If you can, I would love to see that. If you can send I that sent later. you that part. Yeah, yeah please do, please do, please do. I think it's the guys from QAware, the CTO who have made that. Okay, that because, yeah. because for me, they're like, they're really, there's a really obvious connection here. It's like we can yeah. generate uh, a ton of information, a ton of data, a lot of stuff going on, and then to be able to have this going on at the same time. Um, so anyway, that's good stuff. But before we go, we always we always give our, our, our guests uh, a couple of gifts. And one of them is uh, we have our graphic recorder, Angel, who's doing visual thinking, drawing what uh, the stuff that we're talking about. Gorka, can you show the screen? Um, so you can get uh, Angel's interpretation of, of the, things oh, wow. that, the, the <laughs> things that we were covering. Um, Angel is also a musician, so he was very quick to pick up on uh, on the DJ comments. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we got a little bit of all the other things that we talked about, so we'll be sending that um, your way. And oh, another wow. thing that's also quite curious about this particular meetup is that um, is that we uh, that you were talking about the you know the last mile with all the stuff that you work on related to release. And we actually uh, collaborate with an, an NGO that's based in California that's called The Last Mile for oh. different reasons because they help uh, incarcerated people and formerly incarcerated people learn programming skills so that then they, when upon release, that they can uh, improve their chances of getting jobs. Um, so that's uh, tied in very, very nicely today. Yeah, yeah, uh, very with, nice. Yeah, so anyway, thank you very much for your time, Olaf. 
Um, and we'll definitely have to be in touch. And if we ever have a Kubernetes event, date on Kubernetes community event, we may need to have you DJ. Um, so I'd love to. Love yeah, to. I, that would be really, really good. And so everybody knows as well too. We're also starting to do now week monthly meetups um, in the Netherlands. This Thursday will be our first one. Um, but the idea is to do it every month. So I, uh, Olaf, you're definitely going to be back. Um, um, we're going to be bringing more Dutch people. They're going to be in English, although I tried to ask if they could be in Dutch, but it, I understand <laughs> we want to have as many, want to be as inclusive as possible. And also Dutch people speak English really well. Um, so this Thursday we'll be doing our first, but like I said, Olaf will definitely have to have you back on a panel discussion um, with, some, with some other Dutch folks to, to see how you think about solving problems and business cases. So anyway, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, asking me. And, uh, and thank you, Angel, for uh, the beautiful drawing. Yeah. And I uh, really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Olaf. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. Have Take a good care. One. Stay safe. All right. All right. Bye. Cheers.